Last summer, when I went on vacation with my family, we were over at the coast and we were getting ready to return. We had packed up the car in the morning and we were just anticipating getting home, you know, in the middle of the day and uh, anticipating a nice, uh, safe, clean drive home. And in the midst of all of that anticipation, we were completely wrong. Uh, started driving out of the driveway from where we were staying and uh, the, the little tire indicator light came on saying there's something wrong with your tires, they're underinflated. So I stop at the bottom of the hill and I get out and it's not just underinflated, we are in trouble. This thing is going flat. And so we, we headed into the, the town where we were and then realized it's Saturday. It's Saturday on the coast. And all two stations where there might be any hope of changing this tire, fixing this tire, there is no hope of any of that happening today. So we, we go to those two places, we put some air in the tire and listen to it hiss while we drive back and forth. And, and then we realize we're going to have to put the spare on and we're going to have to drive Highway 1 with the spare and we're going to have to hope to get over the mountains into some place where by the time we get there creeping along some place will still be open that we can change this tire so we do that and a couple hours later we get into a town and the Lord is good and the place is open and they've got a spot and and so we we kill some time and they fix the tire and everything's everything's fine we get home and it takes all day the whole day is consumed by this saga of getting home after a flat tire. This is fairly normal stuff. Life is full of surprises. Things happen, you have one thing that you expect and then a bunch of other stuff happens to you and all you can do is say, what? What are we gonna do about this? What's the Lord gonna do through this? How are we going to get through these things? We are trying to manage our time but, and, and we're trying to get every bit of productivity out of our time that we can. We're trying to squeeze everything out of the hours and minutes of our days within the limits that we have. And we're coming to the conclusion as we study God's wisdom for time that our whole way of measuring time is off. Our measurements of hours and minutes are too small God's measurements for time are larger. He thinks in terms of days, years, seasons. And so as we've gotten God's wisdom for time, uh, we've, we've realized the issue really isn't time management. The issue really is understanding who God is, what his priorities are, and making the most of the seasons of our life, expanding our view of the time God has given to us. And we've covered uh, the, the idea of seasons in the scriptures. Last week we said, you've got uh, one lifetime on this earth. And we talked about the, the limit on this life of death. And, and so we've covered all of this. And what we want to talk about this morning is the fact that in time, as we look ahead and plan and try to prioritize, we cannot control any of it. We cannot control the future. We can make plans for a safe trip home, but we can't make plans for all the unexpected things that happen. So, the question we're going to face this morning as we wrap up this short series on God's wisdom for time is very simple. What's the role of faith? in using our time? Faith in what? Faith in whom? We're really talking about, as we come to grips with the fact that we cannot control the future, we can't control the things that happen, and so we can make the best plans that we can for our time, but the Lord has all kinds of things that are going to intrude on our plans. How are we going to handle that when the surprises hit? 
And the answer is, we need to have faith in the one who has control. We do not have control, but there is someone who does. The role of faith in understanding our time and using our time is to look at God who has control over the unexpected and say, I am going to trust you with my plans, my time, my days, my hours, my minutes, my seasons, my life. Let's talk about this this morning, the issue of control in our time. Proverbs 27.1 is our text. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. You don't have control. So you can make a plan for tomorrow, but it may not come to pass. Surprises will happen. So how do we grapple with this, and how do we exercise faith in a world where we can't control what happens? First of all, we're going to look at the principle in this proverb, and we're going to telescope out into the scriptures and see how this principle is taught in a few other different passages and then we're going to look at a process for examining your time and releasing control to God, to His will, and putting your faith in a very conscious way for the, for the productivity of your time, the use of your time, putting your faith in God who has control over all these things. Let's look at the principle itself in Proverbs 27, 1. Two lines in this proverb, first line is, do not boast about tomorrow. When we boast, we're saying, I've got control. I've got this handled. I know what tomorrow is for. I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I've got this all worked out. And so let me tell you what I, in my mastery of tomorrow, am going to do. I'm going to do this and this and this and this, and then I'm going to see all of these results from all that I do, and I've got all this worked out. In Proverbs, Solomon, this wise man, speaking for the Holy Spirit, says, Stop. Do not boast about tomorrow. If your strength, if your sense of security comes from that claim, I've got this, I know what's going to happen, we've made good plans, it's going to be solid, it's going to be great. If your sense of security comes from that boasting, then what happens when the surprises hit and your boasting doesn't come true? That threatens who you are, it threatens your security, it, it threatens your sense of safety, your sense of even being a good person and having made good use of your time, it threatens all of those things. And you can come away from a surprise feeling like a failure when in fact you're only human. And that's the only problem here. Boasting creates all of these problems artificially. We live in a society where we have so many illusions of control right down to the calendar. You can get out this guy, you can pull out the calendar, and, and that calendar is, is out if you're like me, you've got the calendar scheduled out months and months in advance, and you know what's going to happen. There's all of this stuff, it's all laid out for you. The calendar itself can tell you lies about the future if we don't question those things. Um, all of the plans, ambitions, expectations, desires in our life, all of these things can give us the illusion of control, that we can actually rely on getting those results, achieving those things tomorrow. And so we boast about this. So Solomon says, first thing you need to do to come to grips with the limits of time in your life is stop boasting. Do not boast about tomorrow. Find your sense of security and safety in something else. So if you're saying, 
I don't control tomorrow, and the surprises may overwhelm all my plans or make all my plans completely irrelevant. If, you're, if you come to grips with that, how then do you feel safe? How do you feel in control? How do you feel secure in all of that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'd like you to look at the second line of Proverbs 27.1. Just a little comment about this. Most of the Proverbs, as they come in lines in pairs, are either um, what we call antithetical or contrasting parallelism. Do not boast about tomorrow, but live for today. I don't know. That, that might be the, the contrast we would expect in the second line. Most of the Proverbs have an element of contrast in them. Or uh, you might also think of synonymous parallelism. Uh, where the two lines are saying the same thing in slightly different ways. Do not boast about tomorrow. Do not put your confidence in presumptuous plans. That's pretty good, actually. It's, it's too wordy. Um, so I could write scripture. Um, or I could at least imitate it. Uh, so that's another kind of parallelism. Most of the Proverbs are these kind. What you're looking at is a relatively rare kind of proverb, uh, parallelism. That's what we call synthetic. It takes the first line, the idea in the first line, and the second line extends it, takes it a couple steps further. It's relatively rare, uh, but that's what you're looking at here. Do not boast about tomorrow. Why, Solomon? For you do not know what a day may bring. That's why. Let's take that idea of boasting one step further and talk about why you boast. We boast about tomorrow because we think we know what's going to happen. So Solomon says, just realize, as a point of information, you actually don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow's a complete blank. It hasn't happened yet. It's in the future. There's, there's nothing there to know for us. So we can speculate, we can make bets, we can think we know what happens in the future, but Solomon is saying you don't actually know what a day will bring. So here's, we're, we're back to that issue of security and safety. Why do we make plans? Why do we anticipate every scenario? Why do we make plans B, C, and D if you're that kind of personality? Why do we do that? Safety, security. We do that because we want to know that we've got this, that this is handled, and that we know what we're going to do. Um, Solomon says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring. Something may happen tomorrow, that will make plans B, C, and D not only useless, but completely irrelevant to your whole life. Tomorrow may overturn the chessboard. And you don't know. So the question we keep coming back to as Americans is, well, how do I manage if I don't know? How do I plan if I've got no control? If, if it's out of my hands, what's the point of my making any decisions at all? Now, having said all of this, let me swing around and approach this from the opposite point of view. Sometimes uh, preachers talk like planning is bad. They would take a, a verse like this and say, don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day may bring, so don't make any plans. Just be open. Just let it all happen. Just be available. Just show up. You don't need to make plans. God will take care of you. Well, he will take care of us, but the whole book of Proverbs and of Ecclesiastes and much of the rest of the Bible says, you really need to make some plans. 
You need to lay things aside for the future. You need not to spend everything you make, but save some money. You need to be sure that you're using your time effectively. You have one lifetime. Use it for the Lord. Remember your Creator in your youth. Look ahead to the days that are coming that will be evil and look ahead to the end of your life. So think about all of these things and make your plans. But uh, what the scriptures are saying is, make your plans without putting your security in your plans. You make your plans, but your security, your safety, your strength is somewhere else. So where is that? Well, if we don't have control, who does have control? That's where our security, strength, and safety is going to come from. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Who does? God does. God is in control. We like to say to each other. And so this idea of looking at the future and releasing control of it is about saying surprises happen. God is still in control. He is not surprised. He knows the future. And so make your plans with confidence and strength coming from him so that's what this proverb is saying let's orient ourselves using some other scriptures that say the same thing i want to take you to three classic biblical passages that all use this same principle and i want you to see how uh, the wisdom of god works itself out here go to matthew chapter 6 Matthew chapter 6. What we're talking about here is a, a principle about the future and about using our time, a principle that is taught throughout the whole Bible. We'll just touch on these three New Testament passages. Matthew 6, 25. I'm going to read this, I'm just going to start into it, and you're going to say, oh, I know this. I heard this one. Well, of, of course, you can't hang around church and not know this one. But there's knowing it, and then there's really being grounded in it. And then there's being grounded in it, forgetting, and having to go back to it and get grounded in it again. So that's maybe what we're doing here this morning. Matthew 6, 25. This is Jesus talking. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So you may be saying, boasting? I ain't boasting about tomorrow. Tomorrow scares me to death. There's no boasting involved here. I feel completely at sea. I am adrift. The current is taking me wherever it's going, and I can't seem to do anything about it, and that frightens me. I, I have lost my mooring, and I don't have any safe harbor. So I look at tomorrow. I'm not boasting about it. I'm as far from that as I can be. Well, here's the problem. Anxiety gives us as false a future as boasting does, right? Boasting says, oh, I've got this. Anxiety says, you not only don't have this, there is nothing you can do. Both false. Completely false. And so we assume we know something about the future and the Bible's coming at us and saying, you don't know what you think you know. And that is as true of anxiety as boasting. So here's how, uh, where Jesus goes with this. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? What Jesus is going to do here is he's going to send us back to priorities. What's most important here? And he gives us these wonderful pictures. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? So he says, look at the birds. They don't have a 401k. They don't care. If they did have one, their brains are like this. So what would they do with it? They, they don't know anything. All they know what is, is what is right in front of them. That's it. They don't plan at all. And yet the Lord takes care of them. So aren't you, watch this, of more value than they? So you have a brain that is at least twice the size of a bird. You can think and reason and process. You can look ahead in a way that a bird cannot. You can plan. You can make decisions. You have higher value than a bird. So if God takes care of the bird, and the bird is pretty much helpless, if God has designed the whole system of life to feed those birds, don't you think he's going to take care of you because you're more valuable than the birds? It's an argument from the lesser, the birds, to the greater. If it's true of the lesser, surely it's true of the greater. Doesn't God care about you? He says the same thing in a different way. Verse 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Oh, I, I skipped a good one. Verse 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life, his lifetime? Remember what we said last week. You cannot affect the end of your life. You can't do it. You can affect your quality of life. You can affect all kinds of things about your life, but the end is in God's hands. It is by His decision. You can't lengthen it, especially by being anxious, and you can't shorten it. God has all of these things in His hands, even if it is His permission that you would shorten your life by the things that you do. It is all happening from him. So Jesus is saying, with all of this anxiety, you're not actually accomplishing anything. Anxiety is lying to you. So, verse 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. So they don't think about color. They don't think about design. They don't think about the shape of their petals. Nothing. They don't think about any of it. So you've got the, the bird brain and then you've got no brain at all. It's just DNA. No consciousness, no thinking, no nothing. And yet these flowers produce beauty. Why? Because God designed them to do that. And he designed them to do it without thinking about it. So they do all of this, and they neither toil nor spin. It's no work. There is no sweating flower out there today saying, Ugh, gotta produce that blossom. They don't work. This is sounding better and better. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. When was the last time you really looked at a blossom up close? The complexity of it, the form of it, uh, uh, the, the richness of the color of a blossom. It's powerful. And what Jesus is saying here is, with all your toil and creativity and all of the, the things that we do to make ourselves look good, we don't look as good as this. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Exact same argument. He arrays them in beauty, and you are far more valuable than they are. You do toil. 
and spin and work and produce and plan and create. You actually do all of those things because God designed you to do that in a way that a flower cannot. Won't he take care of you? You're more valuable than they are. Uh, Won't he much more clothe you, O you of little what? Faith. And that's what we're talking about here. The boasting that says I've got control when I haven't and the anxiety that says I've lost control when I haven't, both equally false, both uh, threatening our strength and security in God himself. Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heaven, watch this, he doesn't say what you expect him to say. The Gentiles seek all of these things, and they're terrible, shallow, and worthless. No. They seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows that this is not a matter of want or desire. This is a matter of need. This is elemental to human life. Where are we going to live? What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? He knows you need this. And so then you get this famous verse. And we say, oh, I know this one. Do we? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What's the priority? Find your strength in God. Put your faith in him. Make your plans, but don't, put, don't draw your strength from your plans. Look at tomorrow, but don't draw strength from boasting about tomorrow. Look at tomorrow, but don't allow anxiety to lie to you about tomorrow. Draw your strength from the fact that you are seeking his priorities. This is the thing to mark. God is in control. God knows the future. So what are his priorities? Seek the kingdom first. These other things will be added to you. And he closes verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You've got enough trouble today. Don't borrow the trouble from tomorrow. It's like that old Italian Renaissance thinker, historian Guicciardini said, never run out and greet trouble. I like that. If trouble's way out there, don't run out and greet it, much less invite it in. Okay, next passage, Philippians chapter 1. By the way, you'll notice the principle from Proverbs 27.1 is almost word for word in uh, Matthew 6. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for you do not know what will happen. Uh, The same principle applies. Philippians chapter 1. Here again, I'm going to start reading this at verse 21, and you're going to say, oh yeah, I, I know that one. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So you know this passage. He's in prison and the threat of death hangs over him. And so the question, what will tomorrow bring, is hanging over Paul in a very dramatic way. And he says, well, if I live on, that is Christ. If I die, that is gain. 
So no matter which course tomorrow brings, it's going to be good. Because if I live on, it's Christ, it's service to you, it's, um, it, it's all of those things, it's knowing more of his grace, seeing more of his protection and provision. To die is gain. It's to be released from all of this rat race and all of this, um, for him, persecution, all of this physical pain is to be released from that and skip all the rest of it to the kingdom. Do not pass, go, go directly to heaven. Your race is over. Okay, so we all know that part of it. And we know that he says, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I do know that it's better for you if I stay alive. Now watch verse 25. Have you ever looked closely at this? Convinced of this, convinced of what? That it's more necessary for me to stay alive and serve you. It's better for you if I do that. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Oh, Paul, you don't know that. You don't know. Paul, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And Paul says, oh, I don't know tomorrow. I don't even know which course I prefer, but I do know one thing, the Lord who knows the future and controls it, has priorities. And I know what those priorities are. And I gain confidence from the fact that when I am locked in to his priorities, I've got a window on what is probably going to happen in the future. And in this case, he says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And he knows why. So that, verse 26, in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So you're facing death in a prison beyond our imagination. And your source of confidence is the priorities of God. And that's what gives him strength and the ability to face whatever comes tomorrow and the resolution to continue on in the suffering. It's priorities. God's priorities. And in fact, he is released from prison he is not condemned to death here, and he does resume his ministry. Interesting, isn't it? We don't know what's going to come tomorrow, but we do know what God's priorities are. And we can draw strength from the Lord and his priorities in facing an uncertain future. Last one, James chapter 4. Oh, I know that one. James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, James 4.13. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You'd think he was writing to Americans. That's what we do. We look out, down the line, and we say, I know what to do. I know how to spend this next year. And so I've got this plan, and it's going to make a profit, and it's going to go great. James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. That is the exact same wording and principle as Proverbs 27.1. You can make your plans. You can boast about him, but you shouldn't because you don't know what a day may bring. What is your life, James says? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Notice what he goes back to there. The lifetime. You get one of those and it's short. And it's fragile. So you have it for a little bit 
and then it wanes and it disappears. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So, we all pick up the habit of saying, Lord willing, or if you're really fancy, Deo Valente, that's Latin, or if you're even more sophisticated, you abbreviate the Latin DV. Whenever you write an email saying your plans, and you put DV on the end of it, and there we go. What does this mean, if the Lord wills? How can you say, if the Lord wills, without any sense of what his priorities are? Because don't his priorities tell you what he wills so you can make your plans you can look ahead but we don't take strength and confidence from the plans we take strength and confidence from the Lord and his priorities because he knows the future and he knows uh, um, he is in control of what will happen notice how James rounds this out verse 16 As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is really bad for your mental health. All such boasting is evil. Evil. Oh, James, cut us some slack here. That's pretty grim. It's not evil, is it? He says it is. Why would it be evil? Because it's an assertion, I am in control of tomorrow, and I know enough to know what is going to happen tomorrow. That's evil, because that's taking what belongs to God and saying, mine. Food for thought. So if we want God's wisdom about time... What we're really asking is, what are his priorities? Because if I know those, then I can make decisions about time. Now, I don't see any uh, texted questions. Uh, If you have written one down, just put your hand up and somebody can jump up and bring that forward. Um, Okay, we'll move on. Let me give you a short process for shifting your faith away from knowledge and control of the future, which we don't have, onto faith in God. Process for me begins with a very simple question. What do I know? I do know some things. I don't know everything that's going to happen tomorrow, but I know some stuff. Uh, So let me give you an instance as we walk through this process. Um, When I was... uh, Uh, Working on uh, my PhD, wow, that's nice to say in the past tense, that's that's really good news. Um, About three years ago, I hit um, the turning point in that process called comprehensive exams. It means I'd finished all of the courses, all of the seminars, and I needed to move into research and writing on my dissertation. So the, the turning point is when you leave the classwork and go into original research. That hinge is the comprehensive exam. And that's the exam that tells the, the powers that be, yes, you did actually learn what those seminars taught you. This is the ultimate um, SAT final this this is worse than anything you can imagine. It's basically, yeah, all the stuff you know, um, answer this question, write it down. I had, um, for, for my major area, I had eight questions um, that Dr. Coppinger gave me. He was, on the day of the exam, going to select two. So basically, be prepared with eight essays and without notes, write two of them at random. That's the kind of uh, torch, uh, <laughs> procedure that this was going through. So uh, I think it took two days. It might have been three. I really don't remember. 
So I was in the fall of 2014, uh, at about this time three years ago, I was facing comprehensives and that was where I was in the process. I was going to um, take the semester and prepare for those. Here's the problem. What do I know about the next several months? I know that the ministry here in Chico has been through some very difficult things, which it had in the, in the summer of 2014. And therefore, that the fall of 2014 was going to require intensive work right here. And so the question that I had looking ahead at the fall in uh, 2014 was, given what I know, am I going to have time and energy and faith to do both of these things, these very intense things? So what do you know? about what is coming in your life, you do know some things. What are those things? What are the deadlines coming up? What are the challenges? What are you, what are you gonna need? What are you gonna have to bring to the table uh, when all of those things come to fruition? So you look ahead and you, you ask those kinds of questions and say, well, this is what I do know about what is coming up. And when you look at that and you say, well, wow, this ain't looking so good. This is looking like the job is like this and the time is like this. How are we going to do this? So then, ask a second question. What priorities does God have? What does he want? What's first on his list, given all of those deadlines and challenges? Because when something has to give, and it will, when you have to choose, and you will, what are you going to choose? Are you going to go with his priorities? Do you know what those are in your circumstances? Are you going to go with those, seek first the kingdom of God, and trust him for all of the rest of those things? In order to make that decision, you have to ask the question, what do I know? And then you have to ask, given what I know, what are God's priorities? I want to know what his will is. So that when I make my plans and I say, Lord willing, I will know what I am talking about when I say, Lord willing. So the way this worked out for me in um, 2014 was... uh, asking the question, what are God's priorities, given what I know? Maybe I should make a choice that I should delay comprehensives in order to focus on the ministry here and make sure that this is right and on track. Maybe I should do that. Do I want to do that? No. I want to get this thing done. Delaying comprehensives means we're another six months out in the process. It's pushing the whole thing back another six months. That's a painful decision. Didn't want to do it. But um, asking the question, what are God's priorities, sure put that in focus because if I've got a thing out here that I know God has called me to do, but I can push that back, And I've got a thing right here in front of my face that I know God has called me to do. And I cannot delay the things that are facing this church at this time. Hadn't I better make my choice? That really clarifies things. If you look and ask the question, what are God's priorities here? You really listen to the answer that comes back to you from Scripture and other Christians and the Holy Spirit. You ask that question you will get an answer about what his priorities are. And your decision about how to spend your time will be a lot clearer. What time do I have? That's the third question. As I look out at this, and I look at um, the, uh, the reality of uh, the, uh, uh, the months in front of me, I basically reach the conclusion, I have time to push comprehensives back 
and attend to what I know the Lord's priorities are for me right now. I have the time to do that. If I do that, that's putting first things first. The Lord will take care of the rest. So that's what I did. That's how I made that decision about how to use the, the fall season and the winter and spring seasons of 14 and 15. The Lord blessed it because he blessed the ministry here and then he blessed comprehensives in the time that I assigned to that. You see how this works? What do you know? What are God's priorities? And which of his priorities are you going to follow? Trusting him. What's the role of faith in using your time? It's knowing that God's priorities take first place. And when we pursue his priorities first, he will add the other things to us. He will take care of what is lacking. I have seen God expand time. The time I thought was gone. I thought there wouldn't be enough. But God in his control, in his sovereignty, in his knowledge and wisdom, he shifts things around. And all of a sudden, you've got time where you didn't think you would have it. And then he brings in a few surprises and you don't have time where you thought you would have it. All of these things he manages and, and brings into our life. How do we navigate all of this? We watch carefully for his priorities. And then we say, okay, this season needs to be about this and I'm going to aim all of my days at whatever it is you believe the Lord's top priority is. How do you manage your time? Make your plans and trust God. Know his priorities and trust God. Do not be afraid to make the decision to put your time priorities in his hands he will bless it. This will order your hours and your minutes by giving direction to the seasons of your life. And this will, in all of those seasons, and you look back on it, you will be able to say, the Lord has guided me day by day, season by season, for the whole time of my life. And I will reach the end and be given entrance into his kingdom. And I will worship him for eternity because I remembered my creator before all of that stuff happened. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we call upon your name. We ask for your help. We ask for your wisdom in the management of the time you have given to us. We pray that you would deeply work into our hearts all of these priorities. And we ask that you would do these things for the glory of Jesus Christ and in his name. Amen. I uh, do have one question here I'll take a moment to answer uh, before we dismiss we can guess the future, although we are not to know it, but can we count on biblical prophecy for certain events to happen in prioritized order? Well, if you can be confident that your interpretation of biblical prophecy is absolutely correct, then yes. Um, I find that uh, there is too much stock put in prophecy that is actually interpretation. And so this is another form of overconfidence about the future. Um, now, having said that, every single one of us needs to aim our lives at what we know will happen. The Lord Jesus will come with the sound of a trumpet, and we do not know when. So we aim our lives at that, knowing in certainty that it is going to happen. And, and as we do that, we are putting our confidence in the scriptures. Where there are lesser kinds of questions, we do our best with those. Um, 
And uh, as with everything else, we just try to be aware. I'm interpreting here. I'm not knowing. I'm thinking. I'm reasoning. And uh, once we put everything in that kind of category, things tend to fall into place. Overconfidence could be just boasting with the theological vocabulary, and that may be even worse. Um, so um, that is uh, something uh, to think about on the issue of prophecy. Here's another question. Uh, do you have a favorite book on time management to supplement and support Bible readings? <laughs> Do I have a favorite book on time management? That is a really good question. Uh, so I guess the first answer is no, because one is leaping to mind. I would, uh, so let me, let me come at it this way. In preparing for this series, I did not read any books about time management. Because in looking at the scriptures, it was very clear that that's not the problem. Um, my thinking on time management pretty much comes from experimentation. Um, I've got this much time, I'm going to put this priority in it, and I'm going to work that for a while, and, and we'll see what the Lord does with it. And then I can say, well, that worked or it didn't work. And I move on and I try some other things. So um, my... Uh, my wrestling with time management is really uh, being willing to take some chances and some risks and tr to try some things. Um, let me give you one reading recommendation, and it's going to be weird. In the second, where I really first started to think about my day was reading um, the, it's the introduction to the second volume of The Last Lion, a biography of Winston Churchill by William Manchester. And he does something at the beginning of the second volume. He walks you through one day in the life of Winston Churchill. His whole schedule from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to bed. It is fascinating how that man used time. And so I read a lot of biographies and that's basically where I get my sense of what to do with time. Well, what did that guy do with it? Um, just finished a biography on Ben Franklin, as you know, and I was just fascinated to read. How did he spend his days? What did he do with his time? Gives me ideas. So that's mainly uh, where I come up with uh, that kind of information. Very good questions. So uh, let's pray once again. Lord Jesus, we go from this place with many things facing us this week, the most important of which we may not know or anticipate. And so together we commit our days to you and until we meet again, whether it is in this place or whether it is in your kingdom, we commit to trusting you for our days and we ask you to redeem them. Help us to redeem the time you have given to us. We pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.